further ado, let me introduce our speaker today. I have the privilege of introducing Vice Schaefer, Research, Research Vice President, Global Industry Services Director, Healthcare Providers, Gardner. It's been my privilege to listen to Vi for the last several years on our regular analyst calls. And Vi is a, is a, a special person within healthcare. She sits at the crossroads between IT and healthcare. And it's been great to hear her um, speak deeply about different topics that impact healthcare. So with that, I'll, I'll welcome Vi to the stage. You've had flan or donuts, so in case anybody dozes off, I'm going to come at you. Thanks for coming. Beautiful place. Beautiful lunch. Um, I'm struck that, struck that you're all here. If you could, there are a few people standing. If you have a seat next to you vacant, could you just raise your hand so everybody, if anybody wants to sit who's standing, please come, uh, come and do so. So... I was thinking about this presentation that I wrote a little while ago, and I have a point in this presentation, I won't tell you when, I have a point in this presentation when I'm going to tell you that everything I presented is wrong, and I'll tell you why. But um, I wanted to start out on a journey, as Gardner often does, with a, I hope, Way do I need to point? Oh, whoops. Well, that might have changed. Did that change? I got a little animation. We don't know where, how it's going to go, but we'll see where it goes. So, we always like to start out with a viewpoint, and here's mine. You know, it's 2015. It's all fine. 2020 is as if in our strategic planning window now. That is scary. Remember some of you years ago when 2001 A Space Odyssey seemed like forever in the future, and then it hit, and now it's 15 years ago? What's happening in healthcare is the most profound change, the only, I would argue, profound change in the structure of healthcare delivery in my lifetime, which is almost 70 years. So this is a big deal. What's going on right now is a big deal. And because it's a big deal, it changes everything and it disrupts everything and the tension in the health system, you don't always feel it, some of you don't feel it every day in your job or in your health system, but it's there. It's there all over the world. And the change, the disruption, the opportunity, the necessity changes power and control. It changes where money goes, how it goes. It changes the relative pecking order of physicians as well. And so it's a big deal. And I'm going to go through why it's a big deal. Please change. Thank you. So I'm going to cover three things today. 
It's going to cover the market and technology forces that will most impact healthcare. Secondly, I'm going to say, what does this mean for analytics, our beloved analytics? And third, how can you as leaders best leverage analytics to drive important change? I was talking to Rich Pollock earlier. Where are you? From BC Health, new brand. And he echoed what we saw in our, persistently in our surveys from CIOs. That the, we asked them, you know, what's the hardest job to fill? We asked the, the related roles, the non-IT roles we work with and the, the roles within IT, what's the hardest job to fill? And they answered with the role we didn't ask about. So the hardest job to fill, the hardest people to find is leaders. Is the people who can take an area, an arena, a system, a relationship, and lead. Analytics, uh, you saw, saw the title, title of my talk was Analytics, uh, Healthcare Analytics, Driving and Being Driven by Profound Change. And, and that is absolutely true. And the world, he said, the world of healthcare is absolutely dependent on the people who lead analytics. But analytics doesn't mean what it used to. It's not your father. What was that? Not your father's was it Oldsmobile? Not your father's old, not your grandfather's Oldsmobile? Analytics changes a lot. So let's talk about market and technology forces change, please. So what's been going on? Well, for quite a while now, in many countries, certainly here in the United States, the big deal has been get big. Get big to have a um, stronger negotiating power against what is in many, in many markets an oligopoly of insurers. Get big to find economies of scale. But now, in getting big, Standardized, standardized systems, standardized processes, move to what Brent James here in Salt Lake City famously said, you know, 95% of medicine could be standardized and it should be standardized. And we are way far away from that today. But does bigness compound or overcome the silos, the politics, and the bureaucracy that is healthcare? Are we too big to fail? Or are we too big to succeed? Change, please. For a while now, health system executives, again, many countries, public, private, and more, have been seeking systemness. A coherence, a cohesion, a consistency, and an agility. The ability to move as a common whole, to decide and prioritize for the benefit of the system, not the benefit of my, depart my department or my job or my setting, right? Systems thinking. Systems thinking that now translates to processes and mega processes. And everything we do and everything you do reinvents, rediscovers, redefines 
and elevates our understanding of process and our understanding of the mega process. So we no longer have to manage in the piece parts that are the boundaries of our management structure and the boundaries of the information that we have. We can see the bigger picture. Change, please. Um, the profound change in healthcare is inevitable. It is necessary. Necessary, and it's being it's being driven by one thing. This is a poster. I took this picture in the in the uh, Newark, New Jersey airport. It says uh, now it's a Prudential life insurance ad, and it says when this airport opened, the average lifespan was 57, and now it's 78. Now Newark is not the youngest airport in the country, but still, from 57 to 78 in the mid 1800s. Lifespan was 47. Other than war, we've conquered a bunch of things that used to kill us. We've, in, the, in the Americas, we've eliminated three horrific diseases. Clearly eliminated, completely eradicated. Three horrific diseases. Right? You know what they are? Polio, smallpox, and the third was announced this year. Officially, we've had five years without an outbreak of uh, German measles, rubella. Amazing, amazing. Smallpox killed somewhere between 300 and 500 million people in the world in the last century. It's gone. Next slide. But that presents a problem. That's good news for me. That's good news for all of us who are living vibrantly at 50, 60, 70, 80. My mother-in-law, amazing at 96, she just asked me for Pete Gartner's website. <laughs> oh, go ahead and see what your company does. <laughs> 96. But it's not so good news if you're Social Security, if you're Medicare, if you're the military retirement system, you retire at 40, and instead of 20 years, you've got 40 years of payment. So first of all, it's a crisis for the, any services that were calculated based on 58 and now live at 78. It's also a challenge in terms of obviously the diseases. So you know, one of the reasons why we are living this long is we figured out how to ha how to have fewer heart attacks, fewer strokes, live with things that used to kill us, take drugs, get treatments. There's constant innovation, get treatments. And so if you thought 78 was bad, next click, please. Holy cow. Time Magazine, this baby could live to be 142 years old. It's a great issue to read if you can go back and find it, if you don't get time. Because it's all about longevity. It's about each of the things, the, the advances, the techniques, the understanding, the behavioral changes that we know can contribute to longevity. But if you think that was bad, next click. Google wants you to live forever. I was in uh, Copenhagen recently. Their life expectancy has gone, has gone up three years in the last 10, which is 79, about like ours, about three years. <laughs> this, some sort of a running joke I didn't quite understand because some of it was in Danish about mother, mothers-in-law in, mothers in law in uh, on the, like on the radio. 
actually a, an ad or something a joke about mothers-in-law, and I said, I said to, to the audience, I said, your mother-in-law could live to be 500. And one of the doctors in the audience said, if she lived to be 500, I'd have a stroke. <laughs> right? Replacement parts. Um, Sanjay Gupta did a, did a story called The Last Heart Attack starting why we could be in our lifetimes the complete elimination of heart attack and stroke because we know how to prevent it. It's just matching the person who needs the prevention with the prevention. Next slide. So we're going toward this problem of age and this opportunity of age. And what we've done, done along the way is focus on high growth service lines. Oncology, cardiology, back and spine, as, as I keep saying, everything is going wrong with me, you know. Hips, knees. And so a lot of you, your organizations are focused on how can I be the brand that is thought of, that captures these service lines, which are a continuum of service. They're not, and often, you know, often most of it is not surgical in nature. I remember years ago with Intermountain Healthcare when they, uh, one of the few organizations that managed to actually manage that service line. It's tough to do, and other organizations tried to do that, kept failing to manage that as with a P&L for a service line because it broke the silos of traditional healthcare, which was setting base. I run a hospital, I run a clinic, I run a mandatory surgery center, right? Service line busts that up. Next slide. Could you go to your presentation, please? Thank you. No one's giving you a peek at the next slide. Competition, size, complexity have yielded today these business priorities for health systems. And maybe they've kind of been the priorities for a couple years. Depending on who you are, they move around. But there is a change this year. Pick up last six months. There's, there's a real change this year. So interesting. So the priorities have been grow and manage growth. High growth service lines, grow in your geographies, grow by acquisition, grow by expansion of service lines. Right? Grow, grow, grow. I want to be the dominant dog. Talk to health systems all the time who are smaller, and they said, I feel like I'm being squeezed. I was talking to somebody in the kind of the middle of Pennsylvania and said, we got Geisinger expanding over here, we got UPMC expanding. I feel like I'm getting, there's nowhere for me to go. I can't get big enough to operate on, in the complex environment I'm facing, but I, right, I, I don't, know what, I don't know what to do. So if you don't have the strategy for growth, you feel squeezed, you feel kind of out of it. Care transformation evidence-based medicine and standards of care, this is the, the first purpose of EHR. Number three, business transformation of population, population health management. This is the big deal. This is a profound trans change in the delivery of health care. I'll talk more about it in a minute. Control costs, improve operating margin, of course, always. Never enough money, never will be. Consumer engagement and patient experience. A lot of buzz about patient 
engagement. It uses nest under Padre's mouse. But seriously, the thing, there's not a place in engagement. But I, I don't know what's happening in CEO clubs, healthcare CEO clubs. But the last six months, CEOs have elevated the patient experience as a top priority. It's quite consistent. Elevated the patient experience. I don't just mean the patient satisfaction measures. I mean the experience. I mean the brand loyalty, what we call in retail stickiness, right? Stickiness. And this is manifesting itself in different ways. There must be enough time has passed with, a, with financial incentives for HCAPs and that sort of thing where the, the financial incentives or penalties are more severe and everybody's figured out that what they were trying to do didn't work. And er, folks, lots of folks are looking for a new strategy. How am I going to track this patient satisfaction, patient experience thing? Because if I don't can't track that, I'm never going to get to patient engagement, and I'm never going to get to patient persuasion on behavioral and lifestyle improvement. Never going to get there. And if I don't get there, I don't control the mid-hanging fruit of my cost inputs. Next slide. Uh, the other, the flip side, the other side of the coin, is um, the unfortunate term theranostic. What uh, diagnosis and therapy seems like just such a long bunch of words. So, so some people have been using theranostic. We know there's rapid breakthroughs and approvals. Next slide, next click, please. Incremental. But ev it seems like every week I pick up a newspaper, and there's an article about some innovation. This week it was the, um, have you seen it, the, the mail-in colonoscopy? It's, it says, receive, go, send. 92% accuracy in finding colon cancer. UPS guy, going to your door. Um, the other day, it was not the, not the Bluetooth stethoscope, but the digital stethoscope that also, collect, also integrates with the EHR and collects the data, which cardiologists believe is going to reveal all kinds of stuff we didn't know and all kinds of predictive stuff we didn't know about the heart. Data. Data to know. Data to see what I couldn't see. Data to know. Data to see analyzed in large numbers. Every week there's something like that. Next slide. So I want to stop and ask you all, if you represent a health system, if you don't think of a health system, I'd like to ask you our first question, which is what is your number one priority? Is it, whoops, can you go back? Thank you. Is it growth, growth, growth? Is it control or cut costs? Is it evidence-based medicine that reduces variance? Is it effectively moves population health? Or is it consumer engagement in the patient experience? You have to pick one. And I actually don't know how this one is going to come out. So we're going to give you, what, about 15, 20 more seconds for everybody, right? One, two, three, four, five. You know how to do the thing? Are you ready, Ruby? Got it? Hello. Thank you. Okay. 
primarily for your health care organization, and it looks like 38% is wanting to effectively move to a population health management model based on best interests. Everybody in? This is, by the way, a challenge, right? Because it's distributed. Probably most of you would answer, well, really, we've got a couple of these. So this one, I would say, like the top 40, this is the one with a, it was number five. It's rising. And that's a whole different, interesting kind of analytics, isn't it? Okay, thank you very much. Next slide. Well, we've got all this change. And this has been written about a study, so we decided to study it. We've done it two years in a row now. We asked CMIOs supposed to do this. We said, what is this? We asked CMIOs a lot about what's going on with them and how you're feeling and, you know, what's in your way, what's making you successful. But with this time, we asked them, how would you characterize the general attitude of the physicians you work with? And this is their, this is their word cloud. Just, you know, it's weighted. The words are weighted by how frequently they're mentioned. And the scary thing about this is that the CMIOs of organizations whose physicians are, have really crossed that chasm, chasm of alignment with value-based care, with team care, with population health management, answered in the same fashion as those who, who didn't. In other words, we've taken a step back the acquisitions, the changes in lifestyle, the changes in control, the changes in process, the changes in computerization, the changes in regulation, the changes in payment, the changes in everything are truly overwhelming our physicians. And here we want to dump all kinds of performance improvement, right, and data. Oh, we just let me put this helpful sidebar of data uh, on your screen. This takes a real science and art of change to manage. Manage them over this further. It's not a task. It's, it's just there's so many things piled on at once. It's a task thing. It's a little, it's a little better than it was last year where it's kind of overwhelming and frustrating or huge. Hopeful. Next slide. So, you get the picture? A big need for change in the delivery of health care, a big change in the diseases we're dealing with, a big change in the trajectory of cost because of the population surge, big changes in how big my organization is, what it is, who's in it, who has the power, who has the control, big changes in payment expectations with Medicare really kind of driving the bus because of the, because of the age. What does this all mean for analytics? Next slide. Well, I want to ask, before I get into analytics, I just want to ask you one more question, okay? This is a, a population health question, value-based care question. I'm just curious. How ready do you feel your organization is for succeeding under value-based payment and population health management models? One. Very ready. We are leading edge. Two, moderately ready, more than just talk. Three, we're in the planning stages. Four, we're on the sidelines right now. Or five, 
I'm not going to pursue this. And in some cases, it's just not relevant to what we do. Or, or we're really going to stay out of this. Okay, so we're going to do it again in about 30 seconds, right? One, two, three, four, five. I know you can do it. Shall we start to review? Okay. How ready do you feel your organization is for succeeding under value-based payments and population health management models? It does look like C and D are fairly close. Should they go back? Thank you. That D. moderately ready and C planning and it's definitely testing my ability to read quickly. <laughs> Should we go back so we think we can go stay there for a minute? <laughs> I just picture that for a second. I want to tell you that now start we're a research firm. We're an analysis firm. We're a predictive firm. We deal with models all the time just like you do, right? And what I want to tell you about that thing is if you're in this room the people in this room do not represent the average. First of all, you're in this room. Somebody paid to have you come and learn about analytics. You're not all the way over on the far end of off my radar. And so you have to take those ready, not ready, and say, you probably represent the average to advanced group, so take those numbers and move them to the right. And so if you look at the general health system situation, you say 13% are ready, that probably means 7% are. Most everybody is not ready for this model. This model, and particularly the Medicare ACA models, happens so much faster. Medicare is moving. Medicare's proposed rules. Medicare's regulation, Medicare's congressional approval for alternative payments on everything is moving, rack audits, everything is moving so much faster. It's moving at triple speed of what it used to, because they have to, right? Because they got the 143-year-olds. They have to move. What's happened? Health system about ready? Vendor marketplace was not ready, and we relied on the vendor marketplace. So when the ACO proposed rule came out, most common question I got is, where'd that come from? And what do I do about it? So now the vendor marketplace is catching up. It's catching up. If you look at the 13%, the 7% that are ready, the 7% that are making money on the shared savings program, they're making money as pioneers, mostly built all their own stuff. Some of them trying, trying now to, to license and sell that stuff, but they build their own stuff. Next slide. Said population models is a big deal. I want to share with you again for CMIOs. Um, if you are in analytics and you're not in medical informatics, the CMIO is about to become your best friend or your worst nightmare. Because they have to walk the bridge with you from applications to analytics from a clinical perspective. And so it's important to say, where are they going? So this time, this is a word cloud. That's CMIOs. What three words come to mind when you think about the CMIO job? And this was 2013. I have to tell you, the first year we did this, the word that came up was liaison. 
would see my oak tent spout. So I had, I had, you're, you're, this is an analyst joke, right? I had to, you know, word clouds count so that it has to be spelled right. So I had to go back and re-spell about 80% of the uses of word liaison. But that's how it's spelled. Good job. I am a liaison. I am the, I am the bridge among administration IT and the medical community, and I often feel it is my, my job to protect the medical community from mean IT and unproductive IT. That was my job. Overnight one year, that changed. And it changed to leadership, from liaison to leadership. And at the same time, we asked CMIOs, what, um, what personal characteristic would you most like to achieve to make you more successful? And when it was liaison, they said, I need to be more patient. We need to be patient. Change to leadership. I need to be more impatient. I have to be impatient for change. I can't wait to persuade the last physician to get on the bus before I move ahead. We've got to get going. So in 2013, you see they picked that leadership and I'm about change. I'm about change. Now, unfortunately, if we could go to the next slide. In 2014, I said they got hijacked. They got hi I did, IT got hijacked. CMIOs got hijacked. Analytics to a degree got a little bit hijacked by means of these two. It was harder than one. It was more confusing than one. Had stuff in there that you couldn't control. Patients had to do stuff. And, you know, uh, people, organizations that you didn't, people you didn't employ had to accept stuff, interoperability. Um, means of these two really set us back. I'm very angry about this. It really set us back. It's sloppy, uh, inappropriate. Um, you know, at some point you've got to be clear on what mean radiation denominators are if you're, if you're uh, doing that. First one was excusable because they rushed it through. Second one was not. And it will wither. But 2014 to 2015, next slide please. Number one, CMIO and CHIO. Strategic, kind of like a chief digital, what we call a chief digital officer. CMIOs and CHIOs. Sometimes CMIOs report to CHIOs. This is rolling fields. Competition for information strategy. I'll show you why that's happening in a minute. But look what's happened. The EHR is in there somewhere, but not really. I want to be in population health. That's what, right? That's the money game. That's the critical thing. I got to be in that, and I got to be analytics. And I got to be governance. Or this isn't going to happen. Next slide. Thank you. So I'm going to use this model real quick. Um, this is called Gartner's Hype Cycle. A lot of people use this. It predicts the future, but also says, you know, what happens is a technology emerges. Everybody's massively excited about it, but it's not ready. It's not baked, so it slides into the trough of disillusionment and climbs up to the plateau of productivity, past the slope of enlightenment. This is dating and marriage. 
Marina Sue was having an IT. Next slide, please. Everything on this slide set, everything. On, we do five hype circles on healthcare. We cover 150 different technologies. Every single one of them is impacted by AI, but differently. Talk about the EHR. The EHR is the most important technology trigger of our lifetime because, first of all, it creates that record. Secondly, it creates the, the decision support. Third, it creates the relationship with the physician. Fourth, it creates the data. And the data is the most important thing. Next. Telemedicine and virtual care. There, but really going places. Really going places. More, 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 more. Next. These are the two I want to talk about. Just two more times, please. Thank you. Much more. What is happening now is the combination of the EHR, the ERP system, and sensors and big data are creating a totally different management and operations paradigm for healthcare. We call it the real-time health system. It is a system of visibility, situational awareness, and adaptive decision-making. This is the era when, number one, IT moves from being a helper to being a driver and definer of business. We, we see a digital business, federally we heard digital healthcare, right? This is the era when we move to the strategy. It's not just the strategy is helped by IT, the strategy is entwined. It is derived from what technology can do. Yeah, it really is. Operational intelligence is situational awareness. Population health management, provider population health management is based on our real-time understanding of the patient, our ability to cohort, our ability to stratify, ability to plan care, coordinate a continuum, but in real time with a trusted relationship. It's a fundamental difference between this and care, care management. It's a trusted, data-informed, real-time relationship. Next one. The crescendo of today through 2030 is um, personalized precision medicine. It's the buzzword now. Everybody's added it to their tagline. It's very tied to genomics. But what it means is that we're going, that Theranostic, we're going to be, we're going to push a whole nother hunk of science into our diagnosis, a whole nother hunk of science into our therapy, and a whole nother hunk of science into our operations. Doing theory, repurpose, adaptive visualization. When the Institute of Medicine study comes out on medical diagnostic error in about a month, I hope it will blow up because it's going to expose the magnitude of medical diagnostic error. Huge. It's as big as the magnitude of therapeutic variance. And we're going to study that and we're going to understand why did that happen and we're going to try to adjust not just genomics, not just better science. But why did that doctor think women don't have heart attacks? Cognitive dissonance, cognitive conflict, cognitive confusion. One more slide. This is digital healthcare. So what does this mean for you? And I've got some recommendations and things that, number one, you see how data is everywhere? 
we're trying to expand our ability to know, to observe, to collect observations, the EHR, sensors, population health, do you smoke, where do you live, what's the pollen count today, what are you eating right now, did you take those steps this morning, massively increasing our observations, synthesizing them, and trying to get to a nudge or a computer decision that changes the trajectory of everything. And I said everything was wrong because I've been talking about the providers at the patient. Providers at the patient. What's wrong with that? What's wrong with that is that, you know what happened to shopping? Do I mind? <laughs> the ability to know creates the ability for everybody to know. The ability to help with diagnosis creates the ability for everybody to diagnose. The ability to evaluate performance creates the ability for everybody. So who's going to be the strategic partner of the consumer guiding them through their life? I'm young, I'm well, I'm happy, I need a moisturizer, oh, I'm having a baby, I'm gaining a little weight. Who's going to guide me through my life? Suddenly, I've become ill, I got hit by a, you know, I got hit by a car. I'm pre-diabetic. Who's going who's to help me and who's going to prevent? Because the reason why things like lean are so difficult to implement in health is so important and so difficult is because we are unpredictable. You can't control when that patient is going to feel pain, and if they feel pain, you have to act. You can't control who's going to come in that emergency room for that accident. So everything we're trying to do is trying to take data and predict the future. And you predict the future so that you can control it. And that's your job. It's not incremental improvement. It's profound change. Data is the guidepost for discovery. It's going to change everything, but it is really hard because it's massive amounts of different types of data, data, much of which is useless for the decision at hand, but useful for the other decisions. So filtering and synthesizing and deciding and standardizing and using is the future. Nothing that we're trying to accomplish in healthcare will happen without it. Um, the final bottom line in analytic statistics does really good for you. Did you see that article a, couple, a while back from Tom Davenport said data science is, scientists is the sexiest job of the 21st century? It's kind of the new Bill Gates thing. So go forth. You see all the wonderful presentations here of people that are, that are orchestrating change. You have to be the leaders. You have to be the leaders. You have to have the art and science of helping people change, and you have to be impatient for the future. Thank you. Thank you, Vi.
Thank you very much for your time. One of the joys and the challenges is Vi has so much to share, and I'm sorry we had to cut you off. There's a lot more there. Please find Vi sometime today if she's still around to uh, discuss with her. We have one minute left. Uh, CME uh, forms are on your table. At the very bottom, please take a moment and write how you're going to take what you've learned today and apply it to your organization. Udi, any analysis from you before we end our session? We had some, uh, some big applause around uh, the discussion around the fact that we eliminated three diseases in the past century uh, and uh, the focus on leadership and how leadership is, has become a key liaison between technology and the medical community. Also, uh, saw an, any key results uh, as we looked at the survey question about um, how ready people feel as part of the, the organization in uh, in being ready for population health management. Uh, it correlates highly with um, companies that are doing uh, or uh, systems that are being successful already. So it just seems to be a, the more you do it, the better you get at it. Thank you very much, Judy. Thank you for joining. There's a 15-minute break. Next session will begin at 2:30. Thank you very much. Thank you.